Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to come and open our hearts to all that you have for us today. Lord, this scripture on Ephesians chapter 4, I think we've heard it so many times that sometimes our brain can just shut down when we hear it read. We say, oh, we know what that's about. But Father, I pray that you would open our heart to press in a little bit deeper today and understand what you are doing in your church in these days. Open our heart. More than that, Lord, impart to us these gifts. We need them desperately. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's jump in, and I'm going to move fast. Uh, I have the outline up on the uh, screen so you can follow along. And if you want to get these notes later, we will have these uploaded on the internet site so you can just uh, download these. Leadership gifts. This is what we're going to talk about first. And I'm not going to rush through this, but there's a lot of material, so I'm going to move fast today. The five gifts of Ephesians 4 are literally the basic infrastructure of the church. If we were building a skyscraper, the leadership gifts would be the steel girders that hold that building together, part of the foundation that holds that uh, together. These gifts of Ephesians are the foundation for the rest of the gifts. When these gifts of leadership operate correctly in the body of Christ, then people are growing into maturity and people are growing in the gifts that God has given them. These five leadership anointings equip the rest of the body to function in their gifts. So let's read it again. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. It was he, speaking of Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That's a powerful couple sentences, isn't it? He goes on, he says, instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. An amazing picture of the human body as an allegory of the church. So let's take this apart. Verses 11 and 12, God gave leaders to mature the body of Christ. There are many people that call themselves Christians, especially in the United States, and I think it's more in the United States because uh, we have this uh, idea of rugged individualism. They really don't see any need to be connected to the church. They don't see any need to be connected to leaders, and they just kind of do it on their own. I can tell you, you can get information off the internet, you can get information from Christian television, but you are not going to get character formation, and you're not going to experience spiritual transformation unless you are together with the body of Christ, correctly connected the way that he wants you to be, and connected to leaders that will help you grow the way that God wants you to grow. God has given us a design for the church. We keep taking an organic model of design, the human body, and we try to make something and it ends up looking like Frankenstein. 
You can't sew together body parts and do it your way. We need to be connected to the head. This is a living organism. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And often what we've done is everything but what God wants us to do. Let me tell you why it's hard for some people. Because it says that which every joint, that which every ligament supplies. Can we go back to that scripture there a moment before, Hunter? Just, yeah. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about relationship. You have to be in relationship. Relationship is very hard for some people. Over the years, I've seen people come into our church. They love the worship. They may like the prayer. Maybe they like the teaching. I've had a couple people ask me over the years, can I come after the worship? Your worship scares me. I just want to come for the word, and then I'm out of there. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like, it's almost like saying, imagine Janice makes this wonderful meal, and they say, I don't like the hors d'oeuvres. I don't like anything. But man, she makes this phenomenal roast. So I'm going to show up for the roast, eat the roast, and then I'll be gone, because I really don't want to be with you people. I just want the meat. You okay with that? She's not okay with it. She's steaming right now. I mean, she's looking at me like, don't you? But it's true. You know, we, we need to be connected in relationship. And we need to get over this whole thing. I know people have been hurt by churches. You better believe it. I was part of a family once and I got hurt. That's why I don't do family anymore. I used to have a job, but my boss offended me. That's why I don't do jobs anymore. It, there's a maturity issue here. Can we, can we say this? Do you know what the issue is? Is your job, you have to go, because if you don't get paid, you're going to die. In the church, if you don't go, you just kind of float out there and kind of, oh, you know, I'm just serving Jesus and whatever. What you are is you are a loose cell that's going to die because you're not connected to the rest of the body. Can we say this? We're done now. You can all go home. No, seriously, if you don't hear anything else I say today, this is a very important thing. It's all about relationally connected to one another. It's working out. It says, you know, if, if we're connected to one another, then the body builds itself up in love. And sometimes when you learn to love people, it's hard because you have to find out about them. You have to stop being self-centered. You have to overcome offenses. If you want to know what I think about maturity in the body of Christ, two things define maturity. How offendable you are. Okay. How offendable are we? How are we willing to overcome an offense? And the second thing is, how self-centered are you? Are you always thinking about yourself, or do you have a heart that says, because spiritual adults have learned not to always be self-centered. Spiritual children are always thinking, well, what am I getting out of this service? I'm not getting fed. Eh. Sorry. <laughs> Part of our leadership team is going through this book now, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And every chapter has a self-assessment where we have to go through it and rank ourselves with ones through fives. And what do you do when your leadership team is sitting there going, I've got a two? <laughs> you grow. You say, you know what? I need to grow and I need to keep growing. If you think you've derived, then you're deceived. We're always going to grow to the very end, to the very last day until the Lord takes us home or until he comes and rescues us from this planet or comes back for all of us. So why is the church often immature? Well, we don't recognize honor and commission gifts in the church. How can we eliminate key leadership gifts like apostle and prophet and expect the church to operate as God wants? 
And let me put this in perspective for you. If you take the gift of apostle out of the church, what you're essentially saying is we don't want the mothers and fathers because that's what apostles are. Forget about this scary, everybody makes these terms so scary. An apostle is a spiritual father or a spiritual mother that's there to nurture the leaders in the church. The church will never mature if we don't allow God to properly develop and deploy his gifts in our midst. I learned something in the denomination that I grew up in. I love them. They gave me so many wonderful things, but I traveled as a missionary when I was in my uh, mid-30s. I was still very young, but I traveled to almost 200 churches in two years. And I had the privilege of being in all these different churches and meeting with all of these leaders. I have to tell you, as I went into this, these places, there were more times when I ended up doing ministry to the pastor and his wife because there was nobody caring for them. I remember being, and this is many years ago, so don't try to figure out, it was in a different state, but I go into this one pastor's home and I knew that their marriage was that close to blowing up. And at the kitchen table, we sat there the day after I had preached at their church and I said, let me tell you what I'm discerning. And they were in their 50s, and here I am, about 35 years old, and I said, I'm discerning that there's tension in this home and that God wants to heal your marriage. They just, the woman just started, broke up, and she just started crying at the table. And I started thinking to myself, who cares for the pastors? There's supposed to be another level of leadership called apostles that are translocal in leadership that move from church to church and help the leaders to stay healthy. And that whole layer was missing from the church. Because of that, there was great spiritual immaturity and some of the leaders never had a chance to grow up. Many of our church denominations are more like business corporations. A friend of mine, part of a denomination for six months on his report that he had to send in each month, put down, I am in deep distress, I'm thinking about suicide, I need somebody to help me. Nobody ever called him. They read his financial reports and they told him when things were wrong, but they went to a bookkeeper and there, there was no leadership over them. That's why we need people that are apostolic. And Paul, when he tells Timothy and the apostolic teams to go out, he says, go out and establish leadership in every city that you're going. Apostles don't do leadership in the city. They establish leadership and move on. They raise up leadership and then they do other work. Now, sometimes apostles are in a place and they stay there and they work out of a local church like Paul did in Ephesus for three and a half years. But while he was in Ephesus, he raised up six churches in Asia, and those are the seven churches we read about in Revelation. Do you see how apostles work? So we have had this problem, and I don't care whether you call them bishops, archbishops, apostles, brothers, father, mother. We need that ministry in the church, and we need all five of those ministries. How is it that we can take some of those ministries and leave the rest behind? The Western church, especially in America and Europe, has focused on the clergy-laity distinction. Clergy are professional leaders in the church. We know them as ministers, sometimes as pastors, who do all the work of the ministry. The laity show up and do small, insignificant jobs like pass the plate, put together church suppers, and raise money. Is that in the Bible? Kind of scary, isn't it, what we've done? And imagine the poor pastor that's trying to do all the work of the ministry. How, how are things going to go for him? 
or for her. Imagine trying to fill all the position of the gifts. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Bob and Dee are out on vacation uh, for the next several weeks, and they left this week, and I felt them go. Janice and I had to fill in, and we did. A, we were honored to do it. But doing the funeral mill, usually they would do that, and you know, it was just amazing to uh, to step in and realize we've got so many people doing ministry in the church. It's not meant for one person to do it. Over the years, I've had people come up to me, Pastor. Nobody's getting saved in the church. What are you going to do about it? And say, I'm here to equip you. What are you doing about it? You're on the front lines. You work as a secretary in a company, you know, and I've been teaching you now for seven years, so uh, what have you been doing with what I've given you? Or do you want to just come to church and feel good and say, man, that was a good teaching? We are so far from the design that God has for the church, and it's created consumers rather than disciple makers. It's so easy to be a consumer, and it's so easy to build a crowd. I remember years ago when we were, Janice and I were just starting out and the kids ministry in our church, we had a vibrant, wonderful kids ministry. One Sunday, the next Sunday, everybody was gone. The church down the street put up a big sign, free prizes, free food, free everything. And all of a sudden, all the kids went to the church down the street. So it's very interesting. And that, you know, that's okay. I mean, as long as they're going to take good care of them. But I'm not sure if people were going down the street to get the free food or they were going down to the street to get Jesus, okay? It's easy sometimes to build a crowd using marketing principles. It's a little bit harder to make disciples. But making disciples and making disciple makers is what Jesus has called us to do. God gave leaders to mature the body of Christ. God has never ordained the church to produce consumers and passive attendees. You can go to the next one. He's never ordained the church to produce consumers. The only option the word gives us is that he wants disciples that fully, I know, fully know their identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. They understand their purpose and they're doing what God has called them to do. When you know your gifting, when you know the gifts that God has given in your life, it's a major part of understanding your identity and purpose. Each person comes to the church with something to give and the need to receive from others. And let me just make clear here, most of the gifts are not meant to operate even within these four walls. A lot of the gifts are meant to operate out there where you live. We've got these strange ideas that the structures for church growth are we need to get people in our building, and that's not what the Great Commission is all about. Matthew 28, what does it say? Therefore, come into the church, all the world, gather them in. And that doesn't say that. It says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Now, people throughout the ages have captured this and they've gotten it. Patrick of Ireland. St. Patrick's Day is coming up pretty soon. I see a big smile on Annie's face. Patrick is a wonderful guy. I know people use him as an excuse to dye their hair green and drink beer right now. But you need to know that Patrick was a radical apostolic leader who operated in the supernatural he was a Roman that was taken captive by Celtic forces and brought into Ireland. And while he was tending the sheep 12 to 14 hours a day, praying and seeking the Lord, the Lord spoke to him and said, run to the coast, there will be a ship. He ran to the coast, escaped from his captors, went back to Roman territory in England and trained to be a, basically a priest in those days. But he came up with this radical idea. He said, we're going to take groups of 12 people and go into the Celtic area. 
and we're going to take people with gifts to go into cities, and we are going to establish the church by reaching out. And he captured what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and transformed Ireland. One of the saddest parts of that story is the British church, the English church later, Catholic church, uh, sought to bring the Irish in under their authority, and they killed the freshness of what God was doing in that church in Ireland. I hate to tell you that. Because it's a battle between religion and authentic Christianity, and it's been going from the beginning of time. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Patrick of Ireland. I want to go out and do what God has called me to do. So each one of you has gifts. Notice exactly why these leadership gifts are given. Are they to do the work of the ministry? Nope. Lead to prepare God's people for works of service. They're there to equip you. Right now, this is all part of equipping you and encouraging you so that you will go out and do what Nisa and what Amanda did, just talked about. Going out and laying hands on people that you, in your family and where you work, etc. Ephesians 4.11, let's uh, turn to the next slide there. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. What do you see there? Some. You're going to notice as we study the different books of gifts, one of the key things we need to understand is context. This is why people that put all the 17 gifts from Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and Romans in one big test and do it all together doesn't work that way, okay? Because they're different in nature. Not everybody has a leadership gifting, but everybody has spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12. Everybody has a motivational gift from, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12. And then everybody has a motivational gift from Romans 12. But here it says not everybody, only some are given these gifts. Uh, These are leadership gifts or offices that are given to the church. Generally, the people that have these callings uh, serve for life, uh, sometimes vocationally as a major part of their life calling. There are people, uh, some people tend to see a spiritual hierarchy here, apostles, rule over prophets, rule over. It's not there. The hierarchy is not there. As a matter of fact, a couple places, Paul uses these gifts and he gives them in different orders. So don't see a hierarchy here. Apostles don't rule over prophets. Apostles and prophets have a very similar relationship to people that build footers and people that frame a building. They work together. If you think construction there, these are just people that come at different parts of the construction. Think about that. I I was uh, telling our group on Tuesday, I remember Janice and I built a house in Kent years ago, and uh, we did a lot of the work uh, in clearing the land. I remember Ivan and Kenny, who we're probably going to meet next month, I hope. Uh, We went out there with chainsaws. We had no idea what we were doing. God's grace protected us. But we cleared the land, and we we hired these crews, and my dad had all these ethnic friends. And we went out there to look at the land on the 4th of July, and here these guys had started. They were from Yugoslavia, and the guy says, of course we work on 4th of July. We have to get our brother to the United States. (laughs) I love that. But, you know, who gets excited over the footers? I've shared that before. And yet, if we don't get this right, if we don't have an apostolic foundation to the church, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. 
One of the reasons why I've had people say, you f- we feel safe in this church is because I walk with a whole group of leaders that I am accountable to, that I work with, that I'm in touch with, and there is a strong apostolic leadership team that makes up the messenger core of leaders. The people say, well, that's why I feel safe here. The perversion of these equipping or leadership gifts is to rule over people in an authoritarian way. There are people, and I want to tell you this, I want to warn you right now. There are people out there that call themselves apostles that try to control people's lives. They're not real apostles. Years ago, my roommate in college called his uh, friends. We were going to take a weekend off, and we were going to go down to Kentucky. His friend was part of a Christian community. This was in the Jesus Movement days. And... uh, his friend said, well, I need to talk to my shepherd. He, he's the, the guy that's discipling me, and he tells me when I can spend money and when I can't, and if I'm allowed to have people visit me. It's a guy in his 30s. And I said, oh, man. Do you, now, how many of you have seen Jesus do that with Peter, with John, Luke, and all those guys, right? He controlled their lives every day. He said, all right, how much you guys spend? I want all the receipts. Jesus empowered people. And this whole idea of there are prophets out there that don't use their, they may even have a prophetic gift, but they use their gift in a wrong way to control and manipulate people. There are apostles that use their authority to rule over like they have people under their thumb. That's not authentic. You want to know when a true apostle is among you, number one, you feel safe. Number two, you feel empowered. Number three, you feel loved. And there's a lot of love. And they equip you to do what God has called you to do. They don't control you. But I will tell you this. Pastor Joe's going to say a bad word. They will kick your butt if you get out of the boundaries of what you're supposed to do. And Paul tells us that. We're going to get to that in a moment. If anything, with these five gifts, there's an amazing inner working of these gifts that cause maturity. I'm excited right now in the season that our church is in because I feel like God is bringing these gifts together in a new way in our season. He's, he's restoring these gifts and teaching us how to walk together in these gifts. Isn't that exciting? The question, are these gifts still for the church today? Uh, it's very interesting. In evangelical circles, we stress three of these gifts, pastor, evangelist, and teacher, but we eliminate apostle and prophet. Why? How can we do that? This has to be one of the greatest examples of twisting scripture and violating the rule of context in the contemporary church. I have to say it. How can you do that? How can you just arbitrarily say, well, we're going to take these gifts, but we're not going to take these gifts? You know, the Bible actually does not talk much about pastors. It only mentions pastors a couple times. We're going to get to that when we talk about pastors. It uses the word shepherd a lot more. Some people say we don't need these gifts once we reach the unity of faith and maturity of which Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4, and they look at me like that's already happened. So I need to ask you the question, have we already become mature attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Correct. <laughs> Greg, you get a star on your forehead. Apostleship and prophetic ministry are being restored in these days because God wants to equip the church for the final harvest of what he wants to do in our days. So let's talk about the stated purpose for these gifts. Next slide there. Number one, they're to prepare God's people for works of service. The leadership offices are given to equip all believers to serve. Each person has clear identity and function in the body of Christ, so the body of Christ may be built up. Each part understanding their connectedness and function in the church. The goal is that as the church matures, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Let me put it in family terms. When a father is operating the way he's supposed to operate in a family, the kids have a very clear identity of who they are, and they move forward in that identity, confident because there's a father in the home that has loved them, loved them and spoken over to their lives. Do you want to know the number one reason right now? If you want to know why people are in prison, you look at the statistics, more than 75% of them have not had a father in their life. You see, when things don't operate the way that God wants, and you want to pray about healing the inner city right now, we need to pray for a restoration of the family and fathers. We have thrown $16 trillion at poverty, and we've missed the thing that can really change that, and that's to restore the family. I loved it this week. I think it was The View or one of those shows, Omarosa, who I guess is she's an African-American woman who's part of the... um, Trump team is sitting there, and one of the ladies says something like this. Don't quote me on this, but this is the spirit of what she said. She said, well, you're just like a servant for Trump. You're letting him use you. And she said in this interview, and I've got to tell me, and I'll send it to you. She said, nobody uses me. She said, I'll tell you where I am, why I am where I am. She said, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, in the Westbrook Projects. You know where I'm talking about. We used to do ministry there. She said, I grew up in the Westbrook Projects, and she said, I had no nothing that would be an advantage in my life. She said, I was totally disadvantaged. And she said this, this is on Fox News. She said, but I had a mother that took me to church. And she said, and it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that's given me purpose and he has been the rock of my life. Nobody uses me. I serve at the pleasure of my savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody got really quiet. I want to tell you, we had a prophecy a while ago in, our, in the Acts permit, it was a couple years ago that the Lord was going to raise up godly men and women in this next season in the political sphere to make an impact in this country. I heard that from her this week, and I heard it from Pastor Daryl Scott. Both of them on, on the news gave a powerful testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I heard Daryl Scott's wife, and I don't know them, I don't know much about them, but when I heard her talk about why we've been married so many years is because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and how it was shed. And I thought, she's saying this in a news conference with 150 of the top news people there. This is what needs to happen in our land. Everybody's fighting with one another. I'll tell you, we just need to get people's hearts turned to the Lord. It's going to turn things around. How will we know when the church is functioning like God designed it to? What does a mature church look like? We won't act like spiritual infants. What are infants? Spiritual infants are infinitely more self-centered than mature spiritual people. Spiritual infants are easily offendable. They're not yet able to produce. Spiritual infants don't reproduce. Only spiritual adults reproduce. Do you hear what I'm saying here? You're awfully quiet this morning. Spiritual infants are self-centered and needy. And you know what? When you're a baby, there's no sin in that. When you need somebody to change your diaper, you don't say, hey, by the way, when you have a second there, could you come? You go, Wah! you know, change my diaper. I, I have a theory that God made the cry of a human baby infinitely more aggravating than almost any other sound because we're supposed to pay attention to babies. They need our help. But it's not very attractive when somebody is 20 years old and they're in their diapers and they're crying for somebody to help them. And I know I'm painting an ugly picture here, but I want you to think about this. There are a lot of people that show up in the church and they go, well, what can your church do for me? And I think, I'm, I'm, as a pastor, I'm thinking I'm in trouble already. 
Instead of saying, you know, how can I grow and how can I serve here? Years ago, a friend of mine was youth and 20-somethings pastor in a medium-sized church. He came to me, he says, I don't know what to do. He said, we have a, a 20-something group of 45 people, and they just came to me and said they're going to leave the church because we haven't done anything for them lately. He said, how do I answer that? I said, well, there's a problem that's been going on for a while here, so let's talk about that. But you may want to ask them, what have they done for the Lord Jesus recently? What are their gifts? How are they supposed to connect? How are they supposed to be connected to the church? And you've heard me share this story before too. Maybe some of you hadn't. The lady that goes to Francis Frangipani and she said, Pastor, I'm so glad to be in your church. That's a River of Life church too, by the way. Some of my mail goes to them. They have an of in their name. So if you send it to Pastor Joe at River of Life, he's in Iowa. He'll get that. So the lady says to Pastor Frangipani, she said, I'm so glad you're here. In the last church, the nursery was a mess. Everything was all over the floor. Nobody cleaned things up. It was terrible. And he said, sister, really, you're not welcome here. He said, you were in that last church, and God gave you the gifts and the discernment and the ability to see what needed to be done. Instead of doing it, you complained. He said, now, I want you to go back to that church, and I want you to serve without complaining for a year. And if you still want to come at the end of that year and be part of this church, you're welcome. Are you understanding how we bought into this whole, you know, what can the church do for me? So I'll turn John Kennedy's speech from 1963 around. Ask not for what your church can do for you, but ask what your gifts are and how you are called to serve in the body of Christ and be who God has called you to be. How will we know when the church is functioning like God designed it to? Paul goes on in Ephesians 4 through 6. And by the way, the rule of context, the law of context and how we interpret scripture is so key here. I just want to go through this briefly with you. But Paul goes on in the next couple chapters to define what spiritual maturity looks like. And it's so astounding to me when you think about what spiritual maturity looks like in chapters four through six. Uh, Just listen to me and, and, and hang on while I share this with you. Verse 16, it says, each person is connected to Christ in a life-giving relationship and healthy relationship with others in the church. Like my friend Harvey, who wrote Discipleship by Design, uh, he says we need to have right, tight relationships, right with God, tight with one another. We need to be connected. Verses 17 through 24, we are not given over to sensuality and sexual immorality. We've put those old things off. We've put the old man, the old woman off, and we're now renewed in our hearts and minds. Verse 25, we've stopped lying to ourselves. If you're mature, you've stopped lying to yourself and to others, and you've learned to speak the truth in love. Many Christians can't speak the truth in love. They will do anything but speak the truth in love because they don't want conflict in a relationship. So they won't come right out and say, I need to tell you what's really going on. And this is what I'm sensing from the Lord. Or, uh, you know, I need to to sit down with you. You really uh, offended me, and I I, want to forgive you. I want to work through this, but I need to talk to you. Instead, we hide things away and blow up, don't we? These are marks of maturity. Verse 26, we are not given to anger and rage, but we've learned to control our anger and resolve it in a way that honors God and builds others up. These are the ways of God. Next slide. Verses 27 through 29, we've unlimited unwholesome speech and have learned to bless others and build them up. What happens to you when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Do you curse them? Do you start fuming or do you bless them? What happens? I mean, some of us have had victories in that area. Some of us have had failures in that area. Verses 30 through 31, we stop grieving the Holy Spirit 
by getting rid of unforgiveness and bitterness. I grew up in the church. I knew people that had been serving the Lord for 50 years and they were still bitter about the same things they were 50 years before. And they couldn't get over it. They couldn't forgive. They couldn't move forward. But these are the marks of what a mature church looks like. You've eliminated rage, anger, and violence from your hearts. You've stopped slandering others and have eliminated malicious behavior from your lives. Verse 32, we've learned to be kind and compassionate toward others, showing a readiness to forgive. This is the unoffendable heart to forgive those that have offended us. Christianity is a full contact sport. You will be offended. Verse 5 through 1, we are imitators of God. Verses 5, 3 through 7, we've eliminated these things from our life, not a hint of sexual immorality. We're not greedy. We're no obscenity in our speech, no coarse talk, no idolatry or things that displace the love of God. Last night I was reading The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I hadn't read it in a long time. I got a first edition, 1940s book, and it's always good to have a, a real book in your hand. And I'm reading that, and there's this one lady. They take a busload of people from hell and give them one last chance to go to heaven. And the people get out of the bus, and the the grass hurts their feet because heaven is so real, the grass goes right through their feet. So these people come and share with them. And this one lady, they're trying to talk her into going to heaven, but she says, essentially, she's made her children her idols. And she said, if my son can't come with me, I'm not going to heaven. And I thought, wow. I mean, he said a lot of stuff in that. C.S. Lewis is not always on the same page with me theologically, but he hit, he hit some real home runs in that book. I want you to think about that. We've given up our idolatry, the things that get in the way. In chapters 5 and 6, he goes on to address not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. How we look at authority in the family and the workplace. Then at the end, we're ready for teaching on spiritual warfare. Only then at the end, because if you don't have the other ways of God in your life, you're going to get hammered in spiritual warfare. This is all built in context, one thing upon another, but it's all related to what he's saying about leadership being established in the church to help us. That's a little picture of what maturity looks like. That's what maturity is supposed to be. Does that hit you? God is so good, isn't he? All five of those ministry gifts, we're going to stop here. All five of those ministry gifts are to help us to grow into those areas. If you are a prophet, and we're going to talk about each one of these gifts, starting in two weeks, I'll, we're, we're going to tear into the, how the gifts work. We're just talking about the purpose right now. But if you're a prophet and you have these great, amazing revelations from God, but you're not helping people to mature in these areas of character, you're missing it. You hear what I'm saying to you? Because it's all about helping people mature to the full stature of Christ. And we've gotten so involved sometime in the gifts about it all being about us, fulfilling our ego needs, and things like that, when it's really about helping the church to mature and to grow up. I'm excited because I see this church growing up. And I think it's time, it's a season not just for us, but the entire church, capital C, to grow up. God wants to do this in our moment and in our time. Can we stand together? Thank you, Father. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, just search our hearts right now.
How many of you would say along with me this morning, I really, I really want to grow up. Something you said today just really hit me, and it's time to grow up, and I want to grow up. Just raise your hand to the Lord. Lord, for many of us, we have been stuck. For some of us, we haven't received the, the, all, all the best teaching, but it's time to forget the past. It's time to see what you are saying to us today. It's time to step into your word and grow into the maturity of the fullness of the stature of Christ and to help one another be who you have called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would restore true apostles in the church, not people that are tied up into their titles, but people that serve as moms, spiritual moms and dads. Lord, I pray that you would restore true prophets to the church, people with such hearts of humility and brokenness that they open doors of heaven to us and they don't obscure the light because of the humility of their hearts. Give us evangelists, Lord, that are not into gimmicks and business models, but people that have such a heart like Mrs. Frecka did, that no matter where they are, what they're doing, they reach out to the people around them, God. Teachers, Lord, that have such a passion to teach, not because they want people to listen to them and it fulfills their ego needs, but they want to make the hard things simple so that everyone can understand. And Lord, give us shepherds, give us pastors that have a heart of care for the church, people that love other people, that can listen, that have the gift of mercy, that have the gift of works, that can roll up their sleeves and say, I'm here to help take care of the sheep. Even before my own needs, I want to take care of the sheep. But Lord, for all of us, forgive us for being consumers at times. Forgive us for being complainers. Forgive us, Lord, for our independence and saying, Lord, we can do it on our own. We don't need to be connected. Forgive us, Lord, for looking at our own needs and forgetting that there are people around us that you want us to love. And I have a word for, I feel it's for a number of people this morning. Some of you have had things in your life that have not healed because you're still looking at your own wounds. When you begin to roll up your sleeves and work with others, your wounds will heal. I really believe that. We're in a broken world, folks. I thank God that we have a loving Savior who's full of mercy and compassion, who picks us up and puts us together who wipes us off and puts us on the path, who looks out for us. The songs we sang today are so true. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he?